up, everyone? Welcome to Timmins Podcast. I am Tim and your host. This is my podcast. Um, got a great, great episode here today. We got a guest. His name is James. James, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you doing this podcast and and allowing me to speak to your audience. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's my mom, my dad, <laughs> my sister listens as well. So no, it's I got. A, a couple of people listen, which is cool. So, but well, you yeah. got more listeners than my podcast, which doesn't exist. So, congrats. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah. We were just talking about, um, but let's do intro first. Let's do intro. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, James, who are you? What's up? Uh, I've known you. Man, I was thinking about this. I've known you since I was, oh, we did Anna Green Gables. Yeah. Together? Yeah. So, was Anna that? Green Gables probably was the first. I was Gilbert, uh, but we did a few musicals together. And, yeah. and from there, I. I think I was in elementary. Were you in elementary or might have been middle school right then? We were young. Anna Green Gables, I was elementary. Yeah, so, I think so too. Um, and that honestly, I think that was the most fun musical out of all of them. Yeah. Um, but we did Secret Garden as well. I remember doing that. Did we? Did you do that one? Uh, my sister did Secret Garden. I yeah. think I was graduated by that point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We we were in a homeschool play group together way back in the day. But anyways, yeah, James. <laughs> Um, yeah, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you on the podcast? I can, do, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm Jim Siniak. Uh, I'm a behavior therapist. I work down in Johnson County, close to Indian. Well, I work in Indianapolis, but live close to uh, Indianapolis and Greenwood. And yeah. um, the main reason I came up here is to uh, talk about what I did the last year, and that was run for U.S. Senate. And I ran against uh, Todd Young, and uh, it was quite a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Uh, politically, it, it taught me a lot, and it, it helped me grow. Um, but I think Indiana and Hoosiers need to hear more about the message of libertarianism. Oh, 100%. And, and so anytime I get the opportunity to be in front of a mic, I, I guess I'm a politician <laughs> that way. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm so thankful that you're able to come and talk about it. There's a lot of things. I mean, one, um, I think I'm more – I personally identify more as a libertarian. I've talked about that with other people. I like the idea of just the freedom, like – to have to do different things. I think maybe being homeschooled a little bit helped with that. I see a lot of homeschoolers that are also kind of libertarian uh, bent, or at least a little more conservative, right? Definitely. I, I Most of my libertarian leanings, I, I credit to my mom, whether she claims libertarianism <laughs> is a different story. But it, that idea of uh, education and, and having that alternative education really helped me. Uh, I see it as a huge plus, And I think that had my roots in libertarianism. And then as an adult, I saw how much infringement I tried rentals up in Elkhart County and I saw how much government interference there was. Uh, for example, Elkhart City wanted to um, regulate what I could plant in my flower bed. And and that no kind way. of thing was just insane to me. So a lot of these things came together and formed my political philosophy. Wow. How long have you lived in Indy? So four years. I moved, I moved down four years ago, right before COVID. And yeah. Um, it was all for the job. I, I needed a new place and a new job and, and the job down there just worked out. Yeah. And you were up here then before that? I was, I, I lived in Elkhart County my whole life up till four years ago. Wow. Yeah. I saw you went to Bethel. Yep. Yeah, Bethel I went, university. I went no. to university. Yeah. I went to grace. So okay. <laughs> yeah. Christian college world there. So, um, yeah, no, that's cool. So that's in Mishawaka. Correct. So, so yeah. So yeah, you've been in this area kind of the whole time did you grow up in goshen where'd you grow up in like in this area so have you heard of benton yep. near fairfield yep yeah. so that little small community down there i lived in a neighborhood in the country um it was a great experience but definitely a, a huge contrast to indianapolis so oh yeah you got 
farm country, uh, all pretty much the same demographic to going down to Indy where everybody exists. So, yeah. so that was definitely a different experience. The melting pot of Indy. Definitely. <laughs> for, for definitely. Indiana. Yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Indy is crazy too. Cause it has, I mean, just so many people driving through it, you know, with uh, all these major intersections coming in that was it 435. Yep. Well, that's a pain. You, you truly understand what they mean by the crossroads of uh, America. When you move down there up here, it's like, why are we the crossroads? But yeah. when you live down there, you understand it. Yeah. I, I remember um, in college, I went to this exhibit, and they're talking about, like, number one exporter of the, in the United States is this and this and this. And the number one thing that Indiana had was it had the most paved roads per square mile <laughs> than any other place. I'm like, oh, man. That's- I, believe it. I believe it. But we also probably have the most potholes out of anywhere no. in Indiana. 100%. <laughs> or anywhere in America. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. No, that's cool. So, yeah, dude, you – yeah. Um, uh, tell me about you know what got you engaged to run, and what that whole experience was, or just you know I found it so fascinating. I was so excited to see you first. You know I'm, I've been voting libertarian, but I was so excited to see you. I'm like, man, this is so cool to see what you're doing. And um, yeah, you made waves too, like significant waves, in my opinion. I I, I believe so, and I'd like to see that. And I I'll, I got a lot of personal stories that I believe the results are going to see benefits in a decade, and, and we'll actually see libertarianism as the second or even the first party in Indiana eventually. Mm. Um, but it's just a matter of time and patience and building that foundation. But what got me really involved is early on, uh, we talked about me being homeschooled, but my mom, the way she wanted us to learn was hands-on. So back then it was Republican, uh, the Republican Party, but she had us volunteer. She had us do the door knocking. She had us understand the political system. And I really took that to heart and understood that we can make a difference through politics. Um, hmm. So I took that. And I, for a little bit in my early adulthood, I, I would still vote, but I came politically inactive because I, I was just frustrated with the Republican the Party and where they were going. Yeah, uh, They promised small government. They pro- promised lower taxes. But whenever they got elected, I, I saw the complete opposite happening. Oh, yeah. And so, yes, I'd still vote. But as far as my activity, it was minimal. And then uh, you weren't COVID, engaged with it, like you, correct. Yeah, with the party. Yeah, I see. I, see that. And, I mean, the Republican Party lost me before I even knew they lost me. Right. And so during COVID, I, I really saw a infringement on our First Amendment rights, oh, yeah. especially for me. I, I, church is a huge thing. And I saw them shut down churches. I saw little pushback and even freedom of speech and medical freedom and all these things that people were just uh, indifferent about. And that really concerned me. And so I was like, OK, now's the time to get involved politically again. Already frustrated with the Republican Party. So I, I saw Rainwater run in 2020. And I had voted Libertarian in uh, several elections in the presidential for Gary Johnson. Yep. But this was the first time I saw someone from Indiana really make a difference in the Libertarian Party. Uh, I'd followed other campaigns like Rupert's. But uh, to me, Rainwater was making that momentum that he needed to make. And so from that point on, I'm like, I need to be involved somehow, some way. Yeah. And so from there, I went to my local county, got involved there. And uh, it turned out it ended up to be a Senate run. Wow, that's crazy. So how'd that like even you went to your local party and just started going to meetings and talking and. Yeah. So anyone who wants to get involved, get involved locally. Um, But for me, that was Johnson County. And we had started with the uh, monthly meetings and I saw the direction that the Libertarian Party was headed, was excited about it. And then I saw because we have bad access, people want to use it in a bad way. Yeah. And so as a libertarian, I was concerned that it, we could go backwards. And mm. the only announced candidate for Senate at that time was absolutely horrible uh, to me. He didn't represent libertarianism. He didn't represent Hoosiers. Uh, just a bad candidate altogether. And so I was like, okay, well, nobody's announced against him. 
why not me? And I, I honestly wanted to go local. I wanted to go for mayor or at large or something yeah. along those lines. But because I was concerned about the direction of the party, I was like, okay, I'm going to announce. Someone needs to step up and yep, do something. Yeah. And make sure that we have a strong candidate at the top of the ticket. Wow. And so what did that process look like? So did the party then vote? Was that the yeah, first so, thing you Yeah, uh, so most people are familiar with the primaries for the Republicans and Democrats. Libertarian yeah. works a little differently. Uh, so we have a process to announce, and you have to get two state chairs to sign off on your candidacy. Um, state the, chairs as in, like, people who are— County chairs. County chairs. So okay. anybody who's running their county could sign off on a candidate. Okay. Um, I decided to announce, and then shortly after me, a third person announced. Okay. Actually, the original first person never went to convention because he ended up dropping out before convention. Wow, okay. But to explain the primary process a little bit, for the Libertarians, what happens is each county, based on— how they voted and based on how many uh, registered libertarians there are and based on how many people are involved in the county chapter, get a certain amount of delegates. And we send those to state. And so anybody who's running for a statewide position, whether that's governor, uh, senate, uh, numerous congress, they all get voted on at that convention. And even if you're in the Republican Party, you might understand uh, Diego Morales, for example. He was nominated at his convention. Well, that's the same thing with the Libertarian Party. We do all our nominations at the convention. Gotcha. And so that happens in March. And uh, that's... You're in the, in uh, Indy? Or where does that happen? Uh, so it can happen anywhere in the state, but we typically uh, do it in Hamilton County, which is just north of Marion County. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it, all up to the state chair and the state committee. Yeah. Very cool. Wow, that's fascinating. I um I on tw- you know we were talking a little bit before this Twitter and stuff. I've been I follow Dave Smith, which is a prominent a great voice. Yep. Yeah, and he's yeah very I love what he's been. I watch kind of um the whole thing happen with the Mises Caucus, mm-hmm. and I'm not like I'm just I tip <laughs> I tip my toes in libertarianism. I'm kind of aware of it, and I saw them really just um kind of take over the party in a way. It looked like they um, did take over the party. Yeah, and I think it's where. I uh, fall would be more towards the Mises Caucus, which is really interesting as well. Just to watch that, um, yeah, kind of unfold. I yeah, I I love Ron Paul. I went to Ron Paul back when I was in high school to when he came to I think it was South Bend, and um, I was I went, or maybe it was Fort Wayne, but I don't know. I went and saw him talk, and that was really the first time I saw all these different people get together. One person, you know, screaming, we, we, we know, free weed. And the other person's like, I just want, you know, raw milk. And it was just weird to see all of these different, it was such a cool way to see this party of, you aren't all the same, you know? And I just, sometimes I feel like you have to be the same under certain, certain parties, right? You're Democrat, you have to be this way. We see that a lot now, especially Republican, but the libertarians was very, a mix of different things. We're very unique in that way. And it, what brings us together is liberty-minded. And and yeah. we do have our differences in the party. I mean, uh, pro-choice, pro-life is one of those that yeah. the party itself has taken no position. Uh, so candidates are free to run either way. Um, and sometimes that's confusing to the outside message. Uh, but the reality is, is we come together because we want... F- we have freedom-minded issues, like you presented raw milk, uh, education being another one, yeah. um, cannabis, and and those kind of issues. There's so many, even the First Amendment, how how that affects people. So, yeah. civil liberties, I believe, is really the strongest in the libertarian platform. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Can you uh, explain to you know anyone listening what libertarian is? I mean, we're talking about it, but I'd love to hear kind of like what is libertarianism? Why why is that different than 
Republican or Democrat? Yeah, so libertarianism uh, is going to be defined differently by different people. But for me, it's the idea that we can come together on, in a free society. And when I look at the Republican Democrat parties, the contrast is they always look for government solutions to our problems, yeah. which when we look at the government solutions, is always increase the size of the government. Yep. They always increase our taxes. And ultimately, they can start controlling our civil liberties. So those start to fade away and fade away. The libertarians take the opposite approach, right? We look at ways we can get the government out of our lives, out of our personal lives, out of, um, and lower the taxes, allow for more individual freedom, which opens up innovation. It opens up that yeah. American, what I believe America was when we can talk about dreams and when we can talk about success and how we built that, uh, it was all through freedom-minded approaches. And so really that we're just looking for our solutions outside of government, uh, looking to keep the government in check and as small as possible. Uh, that means different things to different people. But yeah, it, it, it's definitely a great uh, opportunity to see more freedom in the future. Yeah, that's I. The government. I've heard this. And I think this may have been a Dave Smith quote. So, but he said the government's um, not good at a lot of stuff, and you can see that across the board. There's not. They're just not good at managing things. The only thing they're good at is killing people. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, that's like, not wrong at that's all. That's not wrong uh, at all. It's like which yeah. is another reason I came to the Libertarian Party. Uh, I. When we talk about life and how valuable it is, yeah. uh, how many times we bomb other countries, how many times uh, we look at the civil liberties, even in America, and the fight about that, the government was often the uh, perpetrator, yeah. and that's uh, very concerning. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy that I mean, to both like right now as things are happening, both sides are just pushing war. They're like full throttle. Let's go to war, yeah. and it's like. What what is happening? Democrats Why? used to be the party of peace, and they're, they're no longer the party of peace. Uh, we have two parties that are all about war yeah. and libertarianism. Uh, I, I had to deal a lot with uh, you know the issues in Ukraine and Russia, and yeah. we are the party of peace. Uh, we don't want to be the world's police officers. Uh, we want America to take a very peaceful diplomatic approach and stop bombing. I mean that that's a yeah. huge thing. That's crazy that you're just like. We're <laughs> And we're, it's and it's we're so disassociated from it too as the American people, but we're funding it. It's yep, and we don't have to see it firsthand. And even even now, how we do war is drones, and and we become even disconnected from the actual killing. And yeah. there's concern over you know pressing a button doesn't give you any emotion, rather than you know going to actual physical war and how disconnected we become to the effects that that has on other countries. Yeah, we're destroying generations of people. I mean, we've destroyed. Yeah, it's so. And it's very frustrating to see just see this all. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah. So what? What? Uh, yeah. What other? I mean, the porcupine, right? That's the <laughs> that's the symbol of libertarianism yep. in a way. I love that. Um, but yeah. So what else is like? It's really about your freedom, freedom to be who you are, what you want to do. And you're right. Big government is so right now is just like suffocating us in a way. I feel. And we saw that a lot through COVID. And it's interesting, I think, and I would love to hear from you, but do you think that the Libertarian Party is, is starting to grow because of what happened in COVID? Are you starting to see engagement? Or, yeah, just tell me kind of what some insights you're seeing. I, I hope so. I hope it's growing. Uh, in Indiana, I believe that's 100% true. We're growing our party. Uh, we're doing that by strong candidates. Uh, what I talked about with the local counties, we're getting more people involved, more counties involved. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of activities. So I do believe we are growing and I, I think we're going to grow nationally even uh, uh, substantially more. 
it's it's going to take a lot of work. And like I said, we have to have the patience with laying that foundation. Uh, if someone who wants to just see wins across the board, that that's not where we're at right now. We ha- have to be patient with that. Um, yeah. But when we're talking about the growing and where we're at, we, we are making substantial ground. We've had ballot access in Indiana since 1994. Uh, now it's a matter of getting our word out to make sure that voters understand our message and understand our principles and well, you talked about gov- big government is exactly right. Why is Washington making these very personal decisions for people in California, people in Indiana, people in Florida, who all have very different lives and different lifestyles? Yeah. Uh, I would like to see a huge rain, uh, rain, or a huge shift in our momentum, and where actually, in a sense, our counties become our largest governments because they are the ones who represent us the most and we can have the most say at our county level versus the national level, which should have minimal impact. Uh, they, there's a purpose for them. There, we could talk about how, you know, if there's civil liberty issues and making sure that uh, we have a fair process, but like it's, it needs to be minimal on that federal level yeah. where your counties, you can have the most impact to help the most people yeah. and really have well, that. You know what the issues are in your county. Exactly. Like, you know, your people well, we were talking about school board, and, and I'd love for you to discuss that more, but yeah. those were some of the most contested races in Indiana. And I think people are starting to understand how much power we can have, or not even power, but how much influence and uh, mm-hmm. cultural um, impact we can have by these local races. But yeah, we were talking about school boards. Yeah, we were, chat- yeah, we were chatting before this. Yeah, well, I got um, the old mayor of Goshen, for those who don't know, Alan Kaufman. He was running the Democratic Party locally. And um, he put together a flyer, and on that flyer it had um, all the people that they're focusing. And on the back, they're kind of it was kind of a piece on everyone they didn't like, or there was uh, something purple for parents. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It was just some group mm. that you know endorsed the other candidates, and so there is like a hit piece. So that really was helpful because one, I got to see who was all running. It wasn't just one side. It was you know it was. A narrative from one person but i could see okay these are the people running on this side these are the people running on that side and it, it was good information and um it really helped me understand who i wanted to vote for and how i wanted to vote even though i got this slanted piece of this is who you should vote for and these are evil people right <laughs> that's literally what it said like these people are evil do they have the whole grayscale of the evil people and then <laughs> full color for the <laughs> yeah it was something like yeah, yeah. No, they even show like they're like they're all basically they i mean this is my interpretation but they're like they're related to each other they're all this and this and this it's all one family trying to run it and like this is great and some of that was not even legit like a lot of that wasn't even uh, factual but I'm like, where, where are they getting this? It was a hit piece, you know. But yeah, the grayscale. Yeah, they had the lizard people on one side, right? <laughs> the color. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> so the evil. Yeah, but yeah, it was. Um, and I think a lot. I, even you know, you talked about church. You know, my church is, is a big thing to go to church, to be in that community, to be around a good community. I love having that. It's very helpful, uh, fulfilling. There's people to lean on. That stuff. Some churches aren't good communities, right? But we should have the ability to have those open. Um, but at our church, we discussed um, that flyer. Like someone brought it up and was talking about it. They're like, "This is really interesting," and you can learn about. It. And so it was cool to have that whole discussion at church about that too. So yeah. I, don't know. I think a lot of people are 
engaged in it. And I'm hearing that school board specifically. And then I hear on the other hand that they're like trying to put parents who go to the school board meetings as domestic terrorists. They don't want like that's there's an opposition to that, too. And I don't know who they is, but I've heard that in the social media zeitgeist. So I've seen that. And that honestly came from the federal level as well. Uh, they started yeah. uh, interfering with school boards. And that's another thing right we elect our school boards why yeah. is the federal level trying to interfere and call people domestic terrorists and parents who are concerned uh, whether that concern is genuine or not and what that's for that school board to decide that's right. not on a federal level yeah biden shouldn't be figuring that yeah it's that's um when you're talking about the federal level more to the state level which i love i love that because and even more to a community level that's i realized that when trump was in office in 2016 i'm like okay whatever happens at the federal level, it will affect me, but it's really the people around me that I need to be engaged with and know what's happening. And I think um, we saw that with abortion. So when abortion, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, like everyone was free. It was like everyone was talking about it. And I'm, I really like the idea of each community, maybe your community says, maybe we should allow abortion. But you can go in and take that change or not. It shouldn't be at one level where the government says yes or no. You know, I... We, and there's so much of that, you know, there's so much of like, this is how things are done. You, you have to play by these rules. And then a lot of the, I mean, like food wise, I'm big into like looking at, you know, canola oil right now has been something that I'm just like trying to stay away from. And mm -hmm. just like the whole, like the process of like, um, take it back a little bit, but so I have a buddy and he works for a butcher shop and he gave me some of the fat. And so I've been making my own lard and tallow. And you can't get that really anywhere because at one point the federal government decided this it's is the, it, yeah. yeah the same with raw milk. Like, boom, the only way you can get raw milk is for your cats and dogs. I'm quoting here. Cats and dogs. <laughs> That's what I, if I go to the farmer's market, I have to buy raw milk for my cats and dogs where for centuries, for most of human time, we just, would just drink that. Like it wasn't someone saying yep. you can't have that. You know, and that's what well, what we're living in. I don't know if you remember in Elkhart County, this this happened. Um, the Amish was selling raw milk, and a federal agency tried to infringe on on that land. And actually, the sheriff at the time in Elkhart County, Brad Rogers, yeah. uh, took a stand. And and that's what we need to see: is yeah. local communities take a stand for what they believe in. And there's no reason that the federal government should have came on Amish land and and yeah. tried to infringe in that way. Yeah, yeah. Brad Rogers is a, he was great great uh, sheriff i'm so glad i knew him personally so i uh, really have a lot of respect for him um and he's i re even remember he was like did a whole article in the elkhart truth or maybe it was goshen news talking about like if my if the police pull over an illegal immigrant and we have a lot of illegal immigrants in goshen a ton like it's i was at a party last night and i told a guy i was from goshen he said oh little mexico because that's, <laughs> that's the like stigma of that's a, but he said if we pull over an illegal immigrant and you're not doing anything illegal we're not going to send you home we're not going to do anything like if you're driving drunk or if you have a weapon or who knows you know like if you're if, you know if you're doing something illegal then yes but if you're just driving and you are an illegal immigrant then you're welcome to be here and i felt that that was like such a cool um, i was I was like, it actually sounds very libertarian. I, I, yeah, I know Brad Rogers and I, I don't know where he thinks, um, libertarians are at. Uh, he, yeah. um, but 
the message of immigration and how we even need to open that up a little bit. Uh, some some call for open borders. I I more just say we need a vetting process that actually allows people to come. Yeah. Uh, so we don't have as many illegal immigrants. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- that sounds very libertarian. Yeah. So if it takes you 15 years to become a citizen, I know people have done 15 well, years to become a citizen. They're good people here working hard. Like, and often you have to have, be very connected in order to do that. You have to have a direct family member or you have to have someone. There's a whole long process. And people don't understand when we talk about illegal immigration, we could minimize illegal immigration by simply making it easier to immigrate. Yeah. Uh and why not? Well, why not allow more people uh, to have the opportunity in America? I come from immigrants on both sides of my family. Yeah. So that's we, how we all. Yeah. We are all immigrants. Yeah. Right? In reality, it's ridiculous. Yeah. We have so much land. I was uh, a couple weeks ago and just dro- drove out to Kansas because um, my wife or uncle lives out there, and uh, uncle and grandparents. And so just driving through, there's so much open land. Like there, we have space uh, in America for people. You know, and it's like, and we need. This is a place, if we have freedom and free ideas, people are going to want to come to this. The innovation, you were talking about innovation. I think innovation is the only way we can solve problems. Mm-hmm. And when you literally cap that, you, you're you literally saying, okay, there's no way we can solve these problems again. Like, you know, um, who was who it? Uh, there's a smog, there's a ton of smog in LA. And that's when the Cadillac converter was invented because of just someone's like, man, can't breathe this is bad literally changed a way that cars are made and way cleaner way help more helpful solve the problem solved it that's innovation that's how we solve things it's not government says you can't drive cars because that's what government's going to do they can't innovate they're, they're, so they're big. trying that now i mean yeah, they're, I they're trying to shift it all to the electric vehicle which we don't even have the infrastructure for right now yeah. i'm all about electric vehicles if you want to drive an electric vehicle do it uh but when the government interferes, there's there's problems and there's issues. Uh, I look even when Obama's plan to, um, I forget exactly how it went, but basically any of the older cars, uh, they destroyed the engines. Well, that made it very difficult for people to find used vehicles. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, whenever the government's interfering with those kind of things, uh, the free market often outperforms and, and innovates and has solutions for these problems naturally. So that's what I like to look at. Yeah. I like, yeah, that's, and it's way solves a problem you're right 100 percent. it solves a problem it's way better that way yeah it's it's wild um i don't know i had a thought and I, uh, <laughs> I was i was at this party last night and i drank a little too much <laughs> it's good we're doing fine sounds like a great party it was a good yeah it was a work party so you know open bar all there we that. go yeah exactly but um it was good uh yeah what so um what was the process like uh like running for Senate, like how did you engage with the whole state? How were you like, what was that like? And I saw, you know, you came to Middlebury, I think a while ago and spoke Mm -hmm. and what was, you know, run me through the timeline too, a little bit, if that's cool. So I announced, uh, July of, or July or August of, uh, 21. Mm -hmm. And then I got the nomination in March and then it was, it was full gear from there. But for me, if I wanted to represent Indiana, I had to be throughout the state. And so uh, coming back to my home county, that was a lot of fun. I, I came back. I did a Goshen trip. I did a Middlebury trip. I came to Kosciuszko County, which I lived close to mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, so uh, basically, when I was running, I decided to look for the counties that were most active in the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. Kosciuszko has a super uh, active county party. Uh, we have a super active county in Morgan County, uh, down in New Albany. So what I would tell those counties is look for events I can come to. 
And every time they had an event, if I didn't have anything else scheduled, I made sure I was there. So it was a lot of driving, a lot of miles and a lot of patience. But for me, the reason I could do that is because I had a solid team. I had a great campaign manager who was able to do a lot of the background things. Uh, treasure, you can't run a campaign without a treasure. Mm. And so he uh, made sure all my finances was in order and, and I would have no issues with that on the federal level. And then I had a great, uh, I even had a driver, so uh, field operator, uh, field director. So he, when he could, would drive me to these locations. Um, but I, I can't stress how important the team is because I could then focus my energy and allocate my time appropriately. And that's really engaging voters, uh, making sure that the message of libertarianism is getting out, making sure that my candidacy is getting out. And so uh, to do that, I had to do our traveling. Unfortunately, we did do some ad buying. We did do some billboards and we uh, got into some papers. But unfortunately, due to finances, uh, we couldn't get in as many as we wanted. So we had to really have a strategy of where our money is going and, and how many people we're going to reach with that dollar. And ultimately, um, when you're competing against $14 million budgets, when you're competing against $7 million budgets, which I believe is around where the Republican and Democrats stood, mm. it, it's really difficult. But I think we're going to get to a point where we can start raising more money. I like to do, raise money by individuals. I don't. I didn't take any corporate money when I was running. Um, now, whether if I ever ran again, whether I take corporate money, I, I may change my perspective on that just because you can reach more individuals. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is you can't... I don't want my vote ever bought. And so yeah. no matter what... Yeah, what's coming with that money? No matter what's coming with that money, I'm telling them up front, you know, this isn't going to buy you anything other than my message of libertarianism. Yeah, And so just being up front about that, I, I do believe that I could still raise corporate money, but do it uh, ethically. And that's yeah. that's where I'm at. I, the Republicans and Democrats don't raise ethically. Uh, they, yeah. they definitely have their votes bought. And, yeah, that's... That's wild. No, uh, yeah, 100%. Um, which one was the 14 million? Was that the Todd Young? Really? Todd Young. Uh, he, I believe it was somewhere around 12 to 14 million he had for that race. That's wild. And I don't know how much he ended up spending in total, but. Did he take over Jackie's spot? Is that. No, so Jackie is on the Congress level. And, okay. Uh, I. I cannot remember the name of, of that individual. Uh, we did have a libertarian run for that spot as well. Cool. Yeah. It's nice to be, you know, you talked about 1994 is when Indiana, a lot of libertarians on the ballot. Not everyone has that, right? There's Correct. probably a bunch of other states that you would have to write it in or something, which is so, that's frustrating. Like, So each state, uh, it's up to that state to decide how who gets ballot access and how. Uh, Indiana, we actually do have to uh, maintain our secretary of state race for that. So we have to get 2% in that race. Uh, that was also a race that I ran beside. Uh, Jeff Moore ran for that position, okay. and he got, I want to say roughly six percent of the vote this year. So we'll yeah. we'll remain on the ballot. But that in Indiana is how we get ballot access. Okay. Uh, some states are it's all about petitioning. Some states, uh, it's any statewide office. So every state does it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, you were just going out doing a lot of stuff. You would go to different events, going back to you just traveling and doing a lot. Um, yeah, so what were, like, some of the biggest events that you went to, or what what did that like look like? I mean, I'm sure each event was different, right? So I'm actually going to start with uh, one of my favorite tours, and it wasn't actually my largest, but the Democrats uh, decided to do a town hall tour of the state trying to uh, get more activity from the Democrat side. Okay. But what they did is they did a bipartisan event and said anybody can come as a candidate to these, okay. these events. 
So what I did is I just tagged along and, and I went to uh, 12 different counties with the Democrats and gave my message of libertarianism. And, and the reason why I like that story is because uh, it shows that we can work together as parties, even even despite our differences. Yeah. And I believe that people need to be reached and uh, those who are civilly a- uh, active and looking for those opportunities, town halls are a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I-, I give props to the Democrats for that and for allowing it to be bipartisan. Yeah, that's cool. Um, largest events. Well, it, it depends on how you look at large. Uh, those are often brought by media. So I was on Kennedy on, on the national level. So um, that probably reached the most amount of people uh I got an article in the Indy Star that probably would reach the second most amount of people. And then uh, going around, I went to festivals. I went to one in New Albany who had thousands. And um, and so those just, I mean, we have a great uh, fair in Elkhart County. Yeah. Going to a lot of the 4-H fairs and, and just handing out my information. Those, Talking those, to as many people as you could. You yeah. can't even count how many hands you shake, yeah. but it's worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, and you're just probably meeting meeting people did people are probably asking you all random types of questions or everything from uh pot, literally potholes to uh you know roe uh, Ro versus wade uh yeah. ukraine the inflation so you that's the thing for running for senate you have to have the interest for every single issue which yeah. which is very difficult yeah uh, yeah and yeah how do you have answers for all that stuff you know yeah it just comes from maybe just principles too if you're like you have these base principles you can help understand how you would navigate certain things and you're exactly right when you know your principles you know how to uh shift it to any topic and right and i mean anything local like the potholes it's like okay well the federal government needs to be out of this that's all yeah. that that this is about and then when you look at some of the larger issues where the federal government does need to get involved you understand the principles of peace you understand the principles of of uh civil liberties and those rights and yeah and you use those to form your um policies and, and to form how you communicate right yeah no that makes sense yeah um you so when you you know you had your team did you guys have like different strategies you guys were um this is a personal opinion, but I feel like media, news, uh, paper, like newspapers, stuff like that, it's dead, dude. I don't, I've not read, like, read a newspaper in a while, or even an online article from Goshen News or what. It's very, very rare. I'm getting most of my stuff from just media, or I'm just, a lot of times I'm, I feel like I'm bombarded by news, and I'm like, just, I'm done. I don't, <laughs> yep. I don't care. Yep. And I saw that with, like, Trump, man. When Trump was in office, it was Trump this, Trump that, Trump this, Trump that. And now I'm just like, I'm almost like overwhelmed with it. I don't even want to deal with it anymore. But yeah, so what was your, did you, I mean, you said like the newspapers wouldn't even run stuff around here. What was your kind of focus for that then? So I, I had a comms uh, director who was uh, involved in the media and he helped me out. But the strategy going in, and, and this is what you have to do as a libertarian and as anybody who uh, doesn't have quite the name recognition as, as some of the others, uh, you have to get your local media first. Mm-hmm. And then once you start getting local media, uh, the regional media will see that, and then they'll start picking that up. And then once you get regional media, then you prove you're big enough to get statewide media. So we had a very specific strategy media-wise. And and I was like you. I'm like, people don't even read newspapers anymore. But when you actually look at the demographic of voters, uh, it's still significantly high for those who are 60-plus. And they actually decide, believe it or not, they actually decide all our elections. Uh, young young individuals aren't voting. 
And so those individuals do still read the newspaper. So yeah. it's an important strategy uh, to target that. And uh, going, our media strategy worked ex- perfectly. Uh, so we got, uh, my first stop was in Goshen, Indiana. Well, actually, technically Warsaw. Yeah. Then I came up to Goshen. Yeah. And uh, first campaign stop, we sent a press release to Goshen News. Goshen News ran it. And from there, you know, uh, we got a regional paper. And, and eventually, Indy Star started noticing how much media we got. And Indy Star's like, okay, we're going to uh, write it. a, they wrote a pretty significant piece on it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And then that gives you some cred. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So all of your, um, the team that you kind of formed around you, were, are they all libertarian as well? Did you meet them at the community meetings and stuff or? So the team that ended up staying with me through the whole process was all libertarians. Yeah. Uh, I did recruit some people who came in and out and some of them weren't necessarily libertarians, but were on my message and, mm-hmm. um, and I would have loved to see more people outside of the party come and do more extensive work, but it's all volunteer. I don't have the uh, money to pay my staff. Right. So with volunteers, you take and what you can get. you don't have a get. $14 million budget, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, if I had a $14 million budget, I probably could have kept uh, a lot more staff around. So yeah. that that's another uh, thing that people don't understand is, is we're at a point in the party right now where it's all volunteer hours. Yeah. I, I have to rely on these and motivate uh, these individuals to keep on my team the whole time. Yeah. And so those who really believed in the libertarian message were the ones that gave me the most hours and stuck with me. Uh, my comms director, absolutely amazing. He would take things that I'd wrote and then just combine them so that he could send them to another newspaper. And Oh, that's cool. And it took a lot of work off my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, and you're doing this while still with a full-time job, right? Correct. So, yeah. <laughs> again, I don't have the budget to run a full-time campaign, so I had to do a full-time job, behavior therapy, and then from there, every evening was full and weekends were packed. Oh, yeah, so you're just going here to there to there. Wow, that is wild. Did, um, is this something you would want to do again, you think, after running and going after? It's a lot of work, and if I did it again, I want to do it the right way, and that's – that's pretty much how I did it. Uh, obviously, build on what I did and uh, raise more funds, do, do be more efficient. But ultimately, I want to make sure I can go all the way around the state like I did. I want to make sure I can get the media like I did. So yeah. if I if I ever choose to run again, I want to make sure it's done the right way. And and uh, if I can only do it halfway, I don't want to run again uh, because this kind of office deserves the kind of energy and honestly, even more energy than I put into it. Yeah. But uh, running full time and working full time, you still have to pick priorities. Yeah. 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 You need to pay rent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, if you want to pay my rent and right. uh, <laughs> let me run full time, but, right. uh, but that's the thing getting donors. That, that's a hard part of campaigning. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I just got the picture of you just caught like spending time just calling people probably, or just trying to, get the right people behind you or to, and you said you did it all off of individual donors too, right? And there's, a, is there a cap to what they can donate? Yeah. So on the federal level, state level is different. Federal level, I believe the cap is some, somewhere between 2,700, 2,900. Uh, weirdly, they actually automatically, um, automatically give themselves more based on inflation. So it's funny how the government <laughs> will do that. And so they, they increase that amount per inflation rate. So it was somewhere in between there. Um, but yeah, it maxed out. And so when you're not taking PAC money and when you're only doing it from the individual, even some of the, uh, larger donors maxed out. So right. it's like, okay, well I can't get any more, uh, 
yeah from that does your wife want to give does your daughter want to give right <laughs> right yeah, so whatever. but yeah yeah that's tough um did you have any packs like court you at all or no so no but there is a great liberty-minded pack it's called liberty is essential the thing is is they only do state level races they don't do federal uh races and so even though i i uh know a lot of people within that pack uh they couldn't donate to my campaign mm. so on the federal level there's a couple that um there's one called you are the power i don't know if you know spike cohen Okay. Uh, they didn't donate to my campaign, but he's just getting that started, that pack. And so in the future, I'd like to see on the federal level uh, if I could get some of those packs to back me. Yeah. Um, specifically, you are the power, but uh, there's other ones as well. So uh, that that's something that if I did run again, I would look at. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Uh, this is just like a side of politics. Like I know it's there, but you don't you don't know it until you've probably been through it. You know, like, oh, yeah, these are how everything, this is the inner workings. Even even as a volunteer, I didn't realize uh, all all the pieces that are put together. And, and as a candidate, uh, I really had to trust my team a lot. And a lot of that, you know, with the fundraising, like, actually, if someone's going to go to jail on your team, it's going to be your treasure. Really? Uh, most of them aren't legally, like, they can't really pursue anybody legally. But if something's going to go... Array, uh, it's the treasurer position. So, yeah. you know, he's having to make sure that we follow all all the guidelines. The yeah. Yeah. Uh, he knows the exact amount somewhere around that two thousand seven hundred mark. Uh, he knows exactly when to cut people off. So right, because if it's a little bit more, you can get in some big trouble. Exactly. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. How'd you find it? Was he part of the party too, or he was? Uh, so I actually, I think he was my fourth treasurer. We actually just talked about this last night. We had a staff party thank you party yeah. uh, we went out and had a great time but i think he was my fourth treasurer and he was the best treasurer he uh he was part of the party but he actually so going into convention my convention was contested so there's two of us running for the senate position and i won uh but he actually was working as the treasurer for the other position no way <laughs> or for the other guy so as soon as i knew i won we immediately went to him and said can you come on our team because we need we need a uh someone who can do this yeah. uh, at the time I think my campaign manager was uh, stepping in between my last treasure and then him and he was like I can't do this but I can do it for a month and then if we win the nomination we'll have we'll recruit yeah. this guy yeah yeah that's wild yeah and so then he was able to step in and yep yeah out. that's cool yeah that's for the cause that's like that's a cool thing too like you know, and that that's the great thing about a lot of libertarians those who want to work together and uh Sometimes it doesn't even matter if you differ a little bit or, you know, like have the contested party for a spot. Ultimately, whoever wins, we're all going to come together yeah. and and spread that cause and, and really push forward that yeah. message. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so needed right now that this message is so needed because I, I feel like that's what this whole country was started on. Just it was. I mean, people think Libertarian is a new party, but really, I would believe that at least, if not more, 90% of our forefathers were, were libertarians. Yeah. And I, I'm sure, like, you know, when when the Democratic Party started way back in the day, or the Republican Party started way back in the day, they probably had the same values. It's just as things grow, they grow out of control. Yep. You and know? power people, power is is a corruption that, you know, when people start to taste a little bit of power, they're like, oh, this is nice. And, and it happens. It does. Well, oh, we're seeing nasty corruption all the time, like, you know, people who are um, 
get government jobs, and then they go to boards on companies. Yep. You know, I mean, you yep. see that back and forth. We saw that with like I saw that a lot during the nepotism, COVID. favoritism, yep. uh, bids for local. This is why people need to get involved locally, though. Bids for uh, local jobs. You you see a lot of favoritism. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. How how does someone? I feel you're right on the local level is where we need to go. That's the where you have most control over. How do you get involved in the local level? I mean, if anyone's listening, they're like, yeah, maybe maybe I don't want to run for Senate, but I want to do something locally to actually make an impact. What would your suggestion be? Yeah, so go to w, uh, www.lpin.com, and on there, there's a map of Indiana, and each county will tell you whether it's affiliated or not. If it's affiliated, go to that. It will tell you who the chair is, and it will give you a contact, probably an email. I think some of them do put their phone numbers on, but it will give you a contact. And contact them. Say, can, how do I join a monthly meeting? How do I, how do I uh, bring this cause to you? How do I, uh, if I thinking about running locally, how do I either volunteer for this campaign or how do I actually step up and run? And that local chair will help you. And then if your county is not affiliated, we have what we call state central committee reps, and they ha- have uh, whole districts that they're covered. So gotcha. same thing as your congressional districts. It's first, second, third, uh, nine in Indiana, and. All every one of those reps are trying to get every single county affiliated. So they'll say, "Hey, we have this individual in. Um, let's go. Well, Marshall's affiliated, but whatever county's not affiliated up here, uh, we have this county. This individual here's wanting it. We have a second individual. Let's get them to, to start the party because you need two individuals to start a county party. You need a treasurer and a chair. Mm. Once you got that, uh, the rest comes, and then you, just grows from there. Yep. So." So if we can get two people in each county, which is very doable, yeah. we can have county affiliates. Yeah, especially if um, you know you're talking about uh, you need at least two percent of the vote in Indiana to stay on the ballot, right? Correct, correct. Two percent of you know a couple million. There's there's someone in each but, county that's a libertarian, probably. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a lot of work, yes, but it's honestly a lot of fun being part of your county. Uh, when I go to my county meetings, we go to a brewery, and we all um, get the local beer there and, and just have fun chatting it up, and then yeah. we'll go golf on the weekends sometimes. So oh, that's cool. uh, so it becomes a friendship and a bondship, too. It's not all work. It's it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, what are um – are you seeing anything happening on the local level where there's like change happening, libertarian change? Yes. I know there's like initiatives or there's, but I, yeah, go, go for it. Uh, so right now we're really focused on trying to get people elected and, uh, on the local level, we'll start seeing some of those shifts and implement, uh, how they get implemented. But I think, I think, believe we had seven local libertarians get elected this year. So wow. in Indiana, in Indiana. So, um, so we're going to see some of that shift happen. And then once you get those local positions, uh, you can start to actually show your community what it's all about. And then your community comes on board. And uh, I was, I'm trying to think of the name of the county, but we actually had uh, two elected and then they've been elected and then they got a third elected this year. So that's cool. as we keep moving forward, we can get more, uh, more individuals involved. So, I'm really excited for 2023 because that's all local, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm an, I announced that I'm going to be looking for a position within my local level. Uh, there's some legal uh, bindings that I have to file before I actually announce exactly what that is. But I'm trying to find someone to run alongside me so that we can tag team it, basically. So 
right. whether it's the mayoral position or at large or whatever, I have that co-person running with me that can say, hey, together we'll make this change and difference. And in Johnson County, I'm really excited for what we can do. Yeah. You said there's a lot of engaged people in Johnson County, right? And there is. We got 6% uh, of the vote, which I think was roughly 5.7% uh, in Johnson County. But the thing that's really cool is because it's my home county, I had a lot of people uh, personally that came and said, I knew your sister. I voted for you because yeah. uh, your sister recommended you, and then I saw you in the paper, and I liked what you said. So it was that they had that personal connection, and then they furthered it with their investigation. Yeah. So when you have that, that reach in your community, that's really neat to see. That is really cool. Yeah. You know, I, when I saw you, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And, yeah, I mean, Libertarian, too, It's I've – I've not, I've, I have voted straight ticket in the past a long time ago, but more and more when I vote, it's like the people I know. And sometimes when I vote, I'll vote for a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian all at the same time, you know, for different positions because I know different people. I like yep. them. I feel like that's that's how that's how it should be. You but, know? So my brother-in-law actually looks for someone from each party that yeah. he can vote for. He really? yeah. uh, he's unique in that way. But yeah. <laughs> let's talk about straight ticket uh, voting for a second. We're actually one of only eight states who have straight ticket voting. I saw it, yeah. And I actually think it's a negative uh, because it makes voters not researched. And, yeah, and I don't want to make a voter's job more difficult, but what they're not understanding is your party – is going to have some bad individuals run. Yeah. Uh, you got to pay attention and you've got to be, whether you identify as Republican or Democrat, you're going to have some individuals that are just bad for your party. So be more accountable and, and do your research as a voter. Yeah. I mean, look at the situation we're in now. And that came from the party you vote for. Exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. On either side, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, yeah, there's garbage in both. What do you think about term limits? I am a huge favor of term limits. Uh, not all libertarians are. And the idea is, is that really the voters should be the ones to give term limits. I mean, we should vote yeah. people out, but we're not. And incumbents, uh, the problem is, is when you can buy power, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, right now we're looking at the second oldest Senate, or sorry, first oldest Senate in U.S. history. And when we talk about incumbency and, and running, uh, it's all corruption. They get the money, they they use that to buy the election. And that's one reason why I didn't want to take corporate money in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's it's something that I think needs more checks and balances. And I believe term limits would bring that check and balance. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like, um, you know, insider trading. Like that's been a big oh, thing. Oh, insider trading. Don't, trading, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. Because they're the only ones who can affect how the stock market run like the yeah. policies all affect the stock market and then they can yeah then they make the decisions and it's on it's rampant on both <laughs> sides that's the crazy thing it's not well neither side wants to stop it yeah because they're both making money off of it exactly right? yeah. exactly it's one of those things you taste power you taste money and, and it, it won't stop yeah uh, did you think about that like if you if you were to have won what was going to be like some safeguards that you would have put in place for you as that taste of money and power have you thought about those things? or I did, and, and that's a great question. Um, one, I, I believe principles. You know, if I was that individual, I'd be running as a as a not a libertarian because yeah. I could win in another party. Um, yeah. But that being said, if I did win as a libertarian, what keeps me check and balance? I believe it's remaining grounded in your base, and I believe that is um, – not just my libertarian base, but my home constituents and making sure I'm staying grounded here. 
um, not letting Washington influence me. And the more you stay in your, involved in your community, even on the federal level, the more checks and balances you have, the more individuals will call you out. And yeah, it's difficult to say that power won't corrupt me because we all we've all seen it done to every uh, to many of these politicians, many individuals, yeah. or but, pastors. We could talk yep, about pastors. Past, same thing. Yeah. Um, but you do have to have those checks and balances. You have to have people call you out. You have to have that accountability, and that's something I hope that I have. Uh, and, and and I want those teams around me that would call me out. Yeah. Yeah people around you can talk to you and you know they're not all yes people right right i actually talking about not having all yes people me and my campaign manager got into many disagreements uh and and it's not even all policy i mean policy we were fine on most of it but uh it was things like how we spent our campaign money um and it was great to not have someone just say yes to me all the time yeah and same thing with me you know i wouldn't tell him yes on everything and so knowing that I could say no and knowing he could say no, again, is part of that checks and balance. That's cool. That's really cool. That friction helps. It does. I mean, you get to it, see things and it sharpens you. Right? I, I believe it's even biblical how, you know, iron sharpens iron and, yeah. and you have that friction. And uh, so when you have somebody who's willing to challenge you and not step down and then you're also, yeah, it, it can create some nasty fights, but at the same time, you come out stronger on the end. Yeah. How, all right. So... Um, shifting to Washington, it's just the amount of people that say, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to cut your taxes and I'm going to uh, clean up a lot. I mean, you hear that. Uh, maybe not so much from one side, but other. I've heard that from Republicans. They've said that, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to make change. And, it's, and then they get there and then they continue to do the same stuff that everyone's been doing. It doesn't They continue sh- promoting big government. Yeah. What they do. <laughs> yeah. So how, how does that how do we change that? Or how what is the like roadmap to shrinking government? Well, so we have to, it's just what we talked about. We have to have more accountability. And and I look at individuals who actually did step up in their party and say, you know, enough's enough. And Mosh is one of those. He actually changed the libertarian because of it. But he got a lot of friction from the Republicans. He, because he stood by his principles, uh, he, I mean, he ended up being, uh, I think he was in there two terms, but he ended up not running again. The thing is, is when you, are a Republican or you are a Democrat and you go, you're expected to be a yes man. If you're yep. not, they're actually going to primary you out. They're going to put all the money onto your opponent. And so they actually force you to become a yes man. And this is why we have to really talk about third parties, why we have to talk about independence, because the more parties we get involved, yeah, the more accountability we'll bring to Washington. And I'm talking about not even parties that I necessarily agree with. It's just the fact that we have to have more than these Democrats and, and Republicans forcing their literally forcing their politicians to follow in line and and do exactly what they want yeah this is a huge entity that's just like you do what i want it it really is it's two it's two things trying to control all of the united states which is wild when it should be you know each state and its own yeah absolutely should be way more decentralized than it's so centralized it's crazy and that's why i really respect amash because he he said you know uh, i don't agree with where you're at yeah. and I'm going to stand by my principles. Was he a congressman? He was a congressman. Okay. He was at, where So he, he was not elected as a libertarian, but he was our highest serving libertarian. Okay. Where was he from? Michigan. Michigan. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know there's a big libertarian movement happening in Michigan, even though the governor is yep. um, rough too. So yeah, that's, but yeah, I've, I've heard that. Uh, and if you go like the UP, that's like super libertarian. I love the UP. Yeah. Um, there was a, this is so random, but, 
their uh, rally race up there. I, oh, cool. I, I have a friend who's a race car driver and went up there. So beautiful up there. Oh, yeah. It's just pristine and serene and, yeah, wild. It's, like, really wild up there, too. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, Michigan's cool. It's got good things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've wrestled with, like, how do we – and you, I think it really does happen locally – you know, a lot of the stuff that's affecting us, like you were talking about, the the you can't grow certain stuff in your uh, garden, right? And there's a rainwater tax in some places, like yeah, you can't even collect your own rain, rainwater. I yeah. mean, think about that. Think if you told someone fifty to hundred years ago you couldn't collect rainwater without it being taxed. Yeah, like, or it's illegal for you to collect or, it. Yeah, some places illegal. So it, it, that's, that's insane to me. It, it's so insane. It's like. And it's only going to get more insane. Like, we're only seeing what we have now. It's only going to get more and more. You know, it doesn't ever reduce. You don't ever see it. Well, and that's why we need more voices, because I, I'm really concerned where we're, where, with where we're going. I mean, yeah. 1984 or, well, I mean, I, I don't want to put a lot of scare tactics into people, but if we're not stepping up and we're not fighting for our freedoms, every single one will be taken away. And yeah. And to me... When I saw them shut down churches during COVID, it, it made me realize how real that they could instantly change our lives. Yeah. And even through a religion, uh, something I thought was completely protected, uh, turns out it wasn't. And so, yeah. and, and, you know, I think even back to that, I think each church could shut down and, and drink COVID, make that decision from the, from their pastor, from their leadership. Yeah. And, but that should have been up to that church and, and what they decided was best for them. Yeah. Uh, religion is more than just, uh, following God, it's all about your community, and, and there's a lot of health factors in it. And to take that away from people just yeah. because there's another health factor, well, who's to say which health factor is more important? Uh, we saw a lot of isolation, we saw a lot of suicide rates. Yeah, those things increased during COVID. Yeah, yeah, drug um, overdoses. overdoses. That that was a huge one. Drug overdoses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the amount of people who I mean, I've just heard story after story of. Uh, people just dealing with depression, and they were cut off from the community, and then they just commit suicide. Right, and, and we, community people don't value community enough, and churches are part of that community. Yeah. Uh, local, you know, we talk about coffee shops. That that's when you shut down your local places to go together to meet people. Mm-hmm. That isolation feeling is very real. Yeah, I did. Um, I served and helped feed homeless during uh, twenty twenty. And um, they were affected massively. I no one really even thought about it, but like they couldn't go to to like everything was shut down. They couldn't even find places to pee. You know what I mean? Because there was no restrooms open. They didn't have ways to like charge their electricity. Like all this, they were. And then most of the uh, services that they were relying on also shut down during COVID, so they couldn't get food. There was no food from the food pantries. There's like a lot of stuff just like. They were really affected. And then now we have so many more people who are becoming homeless because of inflation, because all this stuff. And if this happens again, they're going to be the first. Like, they got affected hardcore. 100%. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it, yeah. And I love that you volunteered. Uh, that's something we haven't actually talked about yet. But libertarianism is all about volunteerism, too, because yeah. if you're not relying on the government for assistance, if you're not relying on government uh, for meeting every need and, and for those kind of things, what has to happen is people have to volunteer and step up in the community. Yeah. And I believe people will. I believe that churches will. I believe that individuals will. I believe that community does come together. But when you're relying on the government to do it, you don't have to come together. Right. So when the government no longer is meeting those needs, then the community, I truly 
believe becomes a community and and volunteerism is a huge part of that yeah that's really important i i think um you know one of the things i i heard someone talk about sunny johnson i don't know if you know who she is but she's she does stuff with breitbart but she um she was talking about conservatism and what she believes conservatism is and it really struck me um and i think a lot of just individuals but she kind of said there's like three rings of conservatism the first one is yourself right you have to take responsibility for your actions and take personal responsibility that's like the center and then the second kind of ring is family you need to and she's like i'm almost a communist with my family where what is mine is also my brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. you know i have a truck it's their truck i have a house it's their house it's funny you say that because i i believe that's how churches should operate Uh, so i i believe the place for socialism is within your church yeah um, that's random, but it, no, I totally agree. Yeah, there is because your uh, community, you you need to be sharing. And then uh, the last thing she said was community, and she feels like most Republicans miss the community part because you need to have a community where you can then go back to yourself and take responsibility for yourself. So you need to foster a community and a culture in your community where you can also have those principles and grow in the same way that you did to get to where you're at, where you you know, take personal responsibility, you have a family, you know, and then you, so, but I just feel like. 100%. I, yeah. that, that, to me, that sums up everything. I mean, yeah. when you're doing those three things. It's, that's huge. But I, you know, um, some people believe that it's not your responsibility. It's the government's responsibility or the, you, you, you don't, you can't take responsibility for some of those actions. That's a, that's a worldview. When it comes to community and family, it's like, um, uh, don't even have family we're seeing a lot of that yep. like be yourself be your own individual and then when it comes to community it's not a community it's it's this is just uh what the government has to you know you start seeing the opposite of that but yeah so an interesting point i think you just made and also that i fought against is uh i've had individuals come to me libertarian libertarianism is the most selfish political position it, mm. it's selfish 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 is only focused on uh individual freedom and whatnot well my counter to that is actually it's more selfish to rely on the government to take care of your community needs than to put that responsibility on yourself. Mm. And so I believe libertarianism is the opposite of selfishness. It actually puts that responsibility on the individual to take care of directly take care of your community. Yeah. And that's that's an important to note. And I I don't see it as shifting the obligation of um, not taking care of our community. I see it as the complete opposite. I see as me being more personally responsible for helping my neighbors. Yeah, that's the, if you can't, yeah, that's so huge. Like the person, you you fix your problems and you can then have the ability to help fix other people's problems. But if you're not fixing your problems and you're having some outside source come help you, like it just doesn't work. It really, I mean, it it can work in some scenarios, but on a whole for the whole United States, it doesn't. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Exactly. Um, do you think that we're going to shift more into states' rights? Are you seeing something like that, or is it still going to be – I feel like that's going to be the breakup of the federal government, as more states say. Like, I This is something that I imagined, which I would love, but like Indiana says, if you are an illegal immigrant, you come here, you will become a, an Indiana citizen. You know, I don't know if that could ever happen, but that would be so cool to have states just step up and say, we're no longer having illegal immigrants, we're having – you come in, you're now, or just, you know, and we saw that kind of with Colorado when they when they did cannabis legalization. That was the first time I saw kind of one state saying, yeah, forget you, federal government. We're going to do what we want. And I, and I love that. It, it worked. worked. Yeah. And we saw that with COVID, too. You know, Florida, 
Texas. We saw them say, no, 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 we're going to do And you now, two years later, three years later, you see the the effect of that. It's been, and I think more and more states, I hope more and more states are going to, but you know, what do you think or what are you seeing or how does that fall in line with libertarianism? Yes and no. I, I think it's a tug and pull. And I think there's always going to be a tug one way and a pull the other. And yeah. uh, right now, I do think we're in a shift more where things are going more towards states' rights. And uh, I look at the Supreme Court decisions, and some of them I actually don't agree with, uh, but I believe that things are becoming more state rights. And uh, even within my um, uh, marriage, for example, I think um, there's a bill proposed that it's actually not the federal government's job to decide what marriage is, hmm. but it's uh, but if states do decide what marriage is, they have to do it equally for everybody. So it was kind of a shift of almost saying the federal level shouldn't have a say in it. Hmm. Uh, I, I do believe that we're in right now where states' rights are, are more prominent. And I think, you know, cannabis, one of those things is right now more people can get cannabis than not, but it's still technically federal, federally illegal. Yeah. So, so there's a lot to it. Um, but I, I do think we'll always see that, that tug and pull. And I think right now, uh, the states are pulling a little bit harder than than the federal is right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy to see how I don't know if you saw what Biden did, where he talked about like from a federal level, if you had like a small marijuana crime, he would remove it. But then if you look, there was no one. Well, yeah, so it was like a, it was very interesting because what what he decided to pardon was basically a federal charge for possession. Yeah. You only get a federal charge for possession if you do it in an airport. If it's there's very minimal places you get yeah. that charge. And so it was it was all pop and circumstance. It was all circus. But it was to say, hey, look, uh, cannabis lovers, we're, we're doing something for you, right. which they weren't. Um, yeah. And, and there's very serious things they could be doing. Actually, people don't talk about this, but Biden himself right now could make an administrative move to make it legal. So all he has to do is uh, take it off the schedule. Hmm. And that's that's all administrative. That has nothing to do with legislation. But if you want to go legislation side, we can talk about uh, the Moore Act and the Moore Act actually passed Congress, but Senate dropped the ball. Hmm. So on that specific issue, Democrats aren't even uh, doing what they said they should uh and that's that's terrible to me because I, I look at uh, cannabis a lot like alcohol. Prohibition didn't yeah. work with alcohol. It's not working with cannabis. Yeah. And actually, cannabis has some positive proven medical impact. And yeah. and so right now, because more Americans can get it than not, uh, we really need to stop jailing people for this crime. It, it's only a tax burden to that. And it's really not hurting our society to allow cannabis um, no, yeah. Well, it's it's also interesting as like a lot of drugs are getting laced with fentanyl, right? As it's come across the border, I've heard of people in Elkhart smoking weed, and it, they bought it from some street level dealer, and it was laced with fentanyl. And I'm like, why would you ever like Elkhart is literally ten minutes away from a dispensary? Yep. Why would you ever buy it off of the street when you know that there's you can go there and, it's and get not, clean? Yeah, clean. it's not going to be full of fentanyl. It, it's just like. I mean, part of that is it, it's unfortunate that someone did that, and it's unfortunate someone laced it. But then also, you got—we're in a world where you, you can't be baby. You have to be making decisions and smart decisions. And if you are going to do the drugs, do it where it's safe. <laughs> yep. You know, where, where are you on with where are you at with uh, um, just like all drugs across the board? Because I know that's a libertarian thought is legalized drugs, right? So my stance is uh, I, I look at it from again. This kind of goes to the, back to my behavior. Uh, 
addiction background and, and helping people. Yeah. I look at more as what's help addictions rather than criminalize them. And yeah. when we look at our society and helping them, um, there are some dangerous drugs and, and we'll, we can discuss fentanyl even further, but, um, I'm not, I'm not recommending cocaine get legalized as far as like, I'm not out there promoting it, but yeah. if we stop jailing people for it and actually get them help through addictions and, and, and allow people to make even sometimes choices that aren't healthy for them, uh, we well, doing it with McDonald's, <laughs> right? You know I mean, yeah, we can what? look at the impact of McDonald's. We can look at the impact of sugar and, and all that. Yeah. And we have to allow people to make sometimes bad decisions for themselves. Um, we already things that people associate with drugs of like, oh, well, they're not going to take care of their family. Well, it's illegal to not take care of your family. So that in itself, whether it's through drugs or whether it's through another way, right. is already taken care of within the system. Right. Uh, you know, same same thing with um, murder. You know, when we talk about, well, drug murders, well, murder is illegal no matter whether that drug is illegal or illegal. Right. So. Right. I look at it more from an addiction standpoint, and I think we can get more people help if they aren't having to face that uh, that time and crime, and, and they can actually come up and say, I do need help with this, yeah. uh, and I don't have to face prosecution. I can truly get uh, substantial help. Yeah, or they're like, I'm just going to do it anyways, and they're going to do it anyways. Right. You know, I was having this uh, discussion with uh, my brother-in-law, and I was kind of telling him the, the reason why I think like all drugs should be legal, and... That I think one of the th things I see is go back to raw milk. And it's a little different, right? But the government said this is bad. And they just took a broad stroke in the safety of people. They made all of these decrees, and this is how we have to live. Well, raw milk isn't really bad, but because they've decided it is, and uh, on a number of other level things, that's what they're doing with drugs. They're saying all drugs are bad. Well, maybe some of them have medical needs. There are some that are bad, right? But I don't, once the government makes the, the brush stroke, it's there for the, like the next hundred years, you know? Yep. And it's like, well, as we become more nuanced and evolved and understanding what's going on, maybe we should look at, because the, the stuff that they've made those decisions, they're not changing. It's hard to change those decisions. Well, so why make them, yeah. Once the government takes away a freedom or, or makes it more difficult to do something, yeah, it, it's a long process to undo it. Long process. Do you think that there should be, I heard this, and I don't know if this is... I'm just going to start asking you random questions if that's okay, but uh, maybe it's okay. Who knows? But, uh, do you think like there should be an expiration on laws? Like this law should be only 20 years long, and then they have to re-put it in. That way, it's kind of. I think most laws should have an expiration. Yeah. Uh, very few, you know. I I look at constitutional law and the Constitution. I, I don't think there's necessarily things that should expire in the Constitution, but yeah. Uh, when we're talking about a lot of these. Um, Let's just say it's a social experiment to, um, well, let's go back to prohibition. Prohibition, and they, they do this social experiment where they see what banning alcohol does, and and if they put an expiration on it, then let's say it actually did work in their favor. Uh, they could re-submit re, uh, it in five years, ten years, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most laws I think would um, evolve and and actually become better for people. Uh, whether it's more pro-freedom or, or even um, beneficial to society as far as the programs, the social programs or whatnot. Um, is it actually helping? We can evaluate it five years down the road. If it is helping, maybe it is something we, we do put tax money into. Um, but yeah, yeah, that definitely is a positive idea in my, in my yeah. uh, philosophical thinking. I think so too. I, I just, 
Yeah, especially when I see some of the laws that are still on the books. You're like, why? What is this? Well, you, from spitting on sidewalks to like horse and buggy laws, and yeah. and they never get taken out, um, just because there's no need. In theory, there's no need to take them out. But I'll give an example of uh, in Elkhart County, I was a correction officer for a bit, okay. and while I was a correction officer, uh, there was a um, unfortunate. Uh, situation where a man from Chicago came and actually attacked a police officer. Mm. Well, that in itself was a terrible situation, but what happened after was also terrible, and it wasn't actually talked about enough, but what happened is the police officers, or the police force, decided to enforce a lot more rules in that community because they felt that the community didn't call 911 fast enough. They didn't actually interfere or intervene or help that officer. So they went out and enforced uh, ridiculous laws, and one of those was uh, bells on bikes. And so they went after 12-year-olds for not having a bell on a bike because it's technically illegal. So what? so a lot of these laws don't even mean anything until they want them to mean something. Right. And now they can enforce this and, and find this community because a bell on a bike, uh, they didn't have it. Wow. I didn't realize that. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that is unfortunate. And it, it probably goes back to a little bit of that favoritism, nepotism, of the, in the government corruption that happening. And once they fell slighted, they have this whole rule book to throw, you know, throw the whole yeah. whole book, and and that's not how you you uh, govern. I mean, it, yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's that is very yeah, that's not good. What, what's your thoughts on taxes? Like, what um, what would you like to see? You know, so I'm very incremental libertarian. Libertarian. So uh, if you listen to enough libertarian podcasts and you listen to enough individuals, you'll hear a lot of taxation is theft. If yeah. you saw my campaign. Uh, I'd never use those words because there's there's some things that are not worth arguing. And as soon as I say taxation is theft, the ones the immediate response is, well, what about roads? What about the one thing right. that I do want my tax money to go to? Right. Uh, and, and there are probably even the hardest libertarians, even though they'll argue against it, there probably is something that they would want their tax money to go to. Yeah. Um, but I I think that we're taxed too high. And yeah. And where our tax money is going is a waste. Yeah. And so it's not efficient. Uh, we need to lower taxes. We need uh, we need to look at our system as a whole. And there's way better ways to do taxes than now. And I really promote a fair tax on the campaign trail, which, again, uh, is not a no taxation or taxation is theft policy. But the fair tax actually looks at a way to do maybe taxes a little fair. And what it is is, is through consumerism. So the more... for uh, new goods you buy it doesn't apply to used goods the more new goods you buy the taxation is on that and it's actually a pretty high rate of like i think 40 percent on a new good but the thing that you look at is like if you buy a used car it's not taxed mm. if you buy a used um clothing not taxed used it's only on that first hand uh good passed and yeah. so it actually through the system has proven that it would revenue enough to uh give enough revenue to do the things we need, the roads, and 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 create a society still. But it also allows people to control their taxes a little bit more if yeah. they're burdened with some of this. Their income's never going to be taxed because I, I don't know why we tax income. I mean, we're basically saying for working hard, you're penalized. Yeah. And for uh, working hard, you, <laughs> you pay the government to go kill as many people as they want. Yeah. That's what that's what's. And even as a small business, uh, you have a little more control over your taxes because. If you're starting out your business right away, you can buy used things. You don't have to buy your everything brand new off the street. And 
And I, I think the fair tax has a lot of positives, but no matter how you look at taxation, we can do way better than what we're doing right now. It's just a mess. There's so many loopholes. There's so many ways to get it. It's like, it's, we need a, it's a way, we need a simple way to do it. I'd love also to figure out a way of like, um, you know, I pay my tax, right? And then I can decide what percentage it goes to. So, like, maybe I want more of my money to go towards education, more of my money to go towards maybe specific things in the police force, or maybe less that goes to the police. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love that you bring this up because one of the things that I promoted was the Cato 6.2% plan. And I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. it at all. But, uh, but Cato is a libertarian policy institute, basically, where they look at policies and, and promote it. And the Cato is one of the, uh, the social security plan is one of the ones I love. Because what it does is it allows for those who paid into the system to still be taken care of. It doesn't get rid of social security. But it allows individuals like you and me who probably will never see social security yeah. to opt out. And what it does is it says, okay, you can opt out. Your employer's portion, which is 6.2%, will still go to social security. But the other 6.2% that's coming out of your check will now go to your choice of your retirement plan. Mm. And so you can, uh, in the free market, you can choose where your 6.2% is going. Crypto, who knows? Right. And and it gives you a lot more freedom (laughs) and within that. But it also says you're not going to get Social Security when you're... Yeah. um, I mean, we're not going to get it anyways. (laughs) No. so, So... I think it's a great way to transition uh, from our current system. And I'll, like you said, we're not going to get it. They're going to keep increasing the age till it's pretty much everybody dies before yeah. <laughs> before uh, <laughs> they see yeah. anything. Yeah, they do. They have increased it. Even that, I mean, they've been increasing it. I don't even know what the age right now is, but it, they've been increasing it as a solution. But you think about it, that doesn't do anyone no yeah that's the whole that's the whole point is is to help people yeah <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah um yeah well, it helps with our labor labor shortages right they, they're not getting social security <laughs> so we need those guys working that's so bad you know as a as a 65 year old just just go work at mcdonald's and, yeah. and finish your last five years yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 go be a greeter at walmart or that's, that's where i see him um yeah that is you know if taxes are What's the one thing you hear probably most of, like, pushback against libertarianism? The roads thing, you kind of brought that up. I hear that as an argument, like, well, then how will we have roads if there's no taxes? Like, what's that kind of... I think most arguments against libertarianism is against the extreme libertarianism. And and we do have all kinds of, just like any political party, we have all kinds of uh, thought on how far to take reducing government. And all the way to pure anarchy. And, And even though I could make a case for anarchy... I'm not going to promote it in my politics, uh, but the, the arguments, you know, I, I heard the selfish one, which we addressed a little earlier. I heard uh, you're not taking care of communities, and, and I think we addressed that a little bit because I, I believe it actually forces people to take care of communities. Um, but I think people, the the largest argument, it goes back to safety versus freedom, and, and I think people are concerned that... Uh, it'll become unsafe, but also like they want to feel secure. They want, whether they want it or not, they want a nation to make them feel secure. Hmm. And that goes from nation building to world policy to even individual like COVID. The argument is, well, this is all for safety. This is all for security. This is all to make myself, um, be in my own bubble so that I don't have to, uh, die or I don't have to live in fear of of whatever is going to make me feel unsafe 
they use all kinds of context for that, you know, terrorist, uh, mm-hmm. illegal immigration. Uh, people, they use that as a fear tactic to make people feel unsafe. Yeah. So the safety concern, um, but I, th- I think every time you trade your safety, you're trading your freedoms. And mm-hmm. and that's what I wish more people understood, uh, like the Patriot Act, a very positive name, very something that, you know, oh, everybody wants to be a patriot or whatever. But the reality is, is that actually infringed on our rights in so many ways and, and our privacy rights. And, and now privacy is coming back up with the, uh, the Roe versus Wade debate and it's coming up on the Democrat side. Well, if you oppose the Patriot Act, like, like you should have, and, and you oppose the, any privacy issues, these things would be more protected, but people want to feel safe. And, hmm. and I do understand that. I, I get why people want to feel safe, but I don't believe that that creates the best society. I don't, think that helps people innovate i don't think that um it's worth the trade yeah no it's it's not yeah i i, I don't think so either it's um the patriot act is is crazy i remember when that came out i mean i was fourth fifth grade i remember that but maybe sixth grade i was young um but at that time you couldn't you almost couldn't say anything against it no no and, it, and i think they wanted to do that they as in the Probably the lizard people that run <laughs> the deeps. The, the, the deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you say they, but you don't know who they is or whoever Kanye thinks they is. Or whoever, <laughs> right? or who knows? But um, Kanye's in the know. I, <laughs> but um, the it's it's um, I think COVID was almost supposed to be just like nine eleven in a way, but I think because of the internet and the way that we've like pushed information and people are sharing information. Um, it was a little. It was a lot more deterred than 9/11. I mean, I I think 9/11 actually you know happened, right? I think there's some real evidence of that there's other theories there. There's a lot of different stuff, but the way that the whole nation rallied around what the leaders, the government officials decided to do, and there was no way you could break from that. And the people who did, they were like really minimized to a very small level. Like there was no one opposing. I I knew one person who opposed it and my parents were just like just don't listen to that don't listen to that but in some he had some good theories and some reality and he was talking about jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams or whatever you know what i mean like that's a that's a meme but still it's like um i wonder if covid would have happened 20 years ago when there wasn't internet what we would have been in how things would have changed now um how, yeah, yeah. How communication. I mean or, zoom we saw a lot of people use zoom and yeah. and we were still able to communicate um but like all of the theories of like we saw a lot of information like and people were pushing back. Like COVID was not a everyone was on board, like nine eleven was. No, you know. And I wonder if nine eleven would have happened today with the internet if we would have been so like gung ho about the Patriot Act going over to war, all that stuff. So it's it's interesting. But. Well, I, so I look at. Ukraine and Russia as an example here because yeah. it, it has a lot of correlation. And, yeah. and a lot of people ask me, even within the Libertarian Party, they said, why don't you believe that we should go intervene with Ukraine? And and it's not that I'm anti-Ukraine or anything. It's uh, I look back to being lied to. I, I look at the weapons of mass destruction, the, the yeah. propaganda, the, the absolute lies that came out later, and the 20 years that we suffered at war – and our brothers and our sisters and our families came home with PTSD yeah. and all these things uh, just heroin into our communities. Uh, I, all this, all of it, and and all this stuff came because 
We were all on board with going to war and fighting any terrorists we could find, whether they had direct correlation with 9-11 or whether they were just a random uh, somebody that the government said should be bad and, and they weren't, you know, so the bombings and, and we were all on board with war. And that, to me, was a significant part of 9-11. And I, I was one of those. I wanted to sign um, in the Army when I was 17. And, and my mom actually said, no, you have to wait till 18. Because I, I had the papers right in front of me. Wow. And, um, and by the time I turned 18, my life circumstances was completely different. But that's, that's what I grew up with. And then I, 20 years later, I see the results. And yeah. I look it's at that. Bad we botched it. When we left, like right, we we done uh, nothing. We bro. had no exit strategy. We had we wasted tax money. We wasted lives. We wasted yeah. the trauma and 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 I look at that impact and and so now I look at Russia and Ukraine, right? And we have more communication. We have uh, the internet and people are actually on both sides of the issue. Um, yep. And I think that there's more hesitancy to immediately intervene like we used to. Um, yeah, step in and be police. Right, and so whether whether um, we can argue what the right decision in that case is, I I think that we are more hesitant to um, we're seeing more sides of things, and and we yeah. we're more hesitant to believe everything that comes through the media. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan, but one thing that really resonates with his campaign was when he said fake news because yeah. we realize how much fake news there actually is. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I don't necessarily ha- like how he attacked the media in the in the way that he went about it. But the facts are there are fake news. And oh, yeah. I grew up with that propaganda for war. Yeah. And and that's something that I think has changed is we see um, more independent investigators. We see more voices come to the table. We see more podcasts. Uh, they're actually trying to regulate podcasts more and more. But the, the reality is, is that more individual voices are reaching more people and we can have more discussions and we can talk about what diplomacy does versus war. We can talk about uh, the right ways to um, navigate these very difficult circumstances. And I think we're at a better place in our society because of it. I think so too. That's that free speech. Um, Do you see free speech? I I, know it is being in French hardcore. Do you see it uh, coming back onto the table? You see more people talking or what are your thoughts on that? I love I love the topic of free speech and and as libertarians it's kind of interesting because uh, the argument is oh well like Twitter and Facebook well they're businesses and they can choose how how voices go out and and I do actually agree with some of that but but the reality is is uh, the more free speech we have even the the more idiotic the idea the more we hear the counter and the counter uh, we can we can have that healthy debate we can decide uh, what will help our society but. Um, but it's no thanks to our government. I, our government isn't promoting free speech. Uh, but what is 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 innovation. It, it's these podcasts. It's the uh, independent journalism. It's it's people who really want to seek truth. And I believe the more we seek truth, the the more we'll find it. And I I, I don't look at large media's to do that anymore. They don't investigate. I I even look at my Senate run. They rarely investigated anything about the Senate run. They, yeah. they it was all pop, uh, circumstantial. It's they didn't actually do any deep investigations. Yeah, and so we need more independent voices. Yeah, and especially if that's where people are getting their their news from. Especially, I mean, yeah, I, you're right. The 65 plus are just hooked on the news. 
They are. Like it is. That's a drug when you get them off. And so. and they're also the ones who vote, which yeah. I, I can't stress enough. But we need more younger individuals to vote. We need we need the next generation to come and actually come Step to up. the polls and vote. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that, you know, regardless of what you, what side you are on, just, yeah, vote. That's such a good thing. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your the b- behavioral health. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that like? <laughs> yeah. So what, what do you do for your, like, full-time job? Yeah, so I do ABA therapy, um, which is applied behavior analysis. Okay. And it works specifically with autism. And so okay. uh, I started... Lighthouse? Well, so Lighthouse is an ABA therapy. I work for a company called Autism Companion Services. And uh, Lighthouse is down in India. It's also up here. There's uh, uh, Virtus try to hire me up here as well. Um, So they also do ABA. So they're they're all over the state. But specifically, kids with autism, I started out working with two six-year-olds. Now I do uh, any age up to, like, I believe it's 20-ish when they start getting cut off from insurance. Uh, but it, it's so rewarding, and it's just seeing the progress they can make through uh, someone caring and, and being able to help them navigate uh, social settings, help them navigate everyday uh, challenges. So, anything from potty training to how to say hi to how to uh, go to school and, and raise your hand in front of a class. And any of those things fall within behavior therapy. And so it, it's, I couldn't really ask for a more rewarding career. Yeah. How did you get in? Was that something that you went to Bethel for? Uh, it was kind of by chance. So Bethel, I went to for human services, which is basically a social work degree. Yep. And I actually worked factory right after that because I couldn't find anything in northern Indiana uh, that didn't want to pay me more than minimum wage. And, and that was also during that economic time of 2008 where um, jobs just weren't yeah. hiring. Yeah. And so I, I went back to factory, worked there for several, several years. And... I got to a life circumstance where I was just like, okay, I went to college for this. I'm kind of ready for a change. Uh, Northern Indiana is not giving me as many job opportunities as I wish. So I just put my application in both up here and uh, down in Indy and even, I think, a little bit in Michigan. Uh, and the first place that came uh, called me back was an ABA therapy center. And first interview I had, first job offer, and I, and I did take more job interviews I did have more offers but the first one uh I just fell in love with it from from going to the interview and seeing firsthand what they did yeah. I'm like I want to do this so um it was kind of by chance but it, it was kind of one of those things that my uh degree in human services kind of helped navigate and and uh, see what direction I could head with it yeah that's cool so you have to kind of see what yeah and so you've been doing that for is that for four years yeah about four and a half years now yeah. so that's really cool I have a couple of friends who work for a lighthouse and just the stuff that they do is just, it's fascinating. And you get to see rewards daily and yeah. not every job you can say that. Um, I, I <laughs> throw everything from watching a kid to be completely terrified of a, of a bicycle to being riding it. That's um, crazy. When you, when you see that transition, it, it's amazing. And then I got to see a kid who couldn't even walk a hallway because he would sweat and he'd sit and he'd complain and, um, and, uh, had really a lot of trouble navigating going back to school after COVID going from that situation to running track in the spring and, and thriving socially. Yeah. So you see that transition and you just, you just shake your head and you're like, I don't know how I got privileged enough to be part of this transition. Yeah, that's cool. How, what, um, 
Is it like a specific type of uh, like philosophy or therapy? Like what? What do you? How it, does it go into that? Like, ABA is very very specific in that um, how it intervenes with autism and and in the beginning of ABA it didn't always have a positive uh, spin. It all the argument the counter argument was it was making kids like robots because when you're trying to teach them certain things you're you're. It's like repetition. Yeah, it's all repetition, and, and it's working that. And so it's made a lot of advancements uh, more recently, and, and humanities really come part of it. But it's really just um, understanding why behavior happens. So usually it's be, that behavior happens because they're trying to escape from something or because they want access to something or because um, – I mean, there, so there's four different areas of, of behavior. Mm-hmm. And so you look at the reason of why they're having that behavior. And then let's say it's to escape um, work. And so you work with them through that and say, okay, well, we have to do this first and then we can go do whatever you want to do. And so it's helping them navigate that um, that situation. Yeah. And so that pathway, that, that pathway, and they probably and have carved it one way. Cause it just, it's out of a, a, a fight, a fight or flight. Yep. Right. Or yep. Something. And it's teaching them that they don't have to, they don't have to go into that pattern. They can get yeah. through this. And so wow. it, it, it's honestly great because it works for even, um, uh, yeah, anybody. I mean, it's not just autism related. Like I've learned how to personally overcome challenges because I, I've learned what behavior is and why it occurs. Uh, you know, I, I'm one of those who will pace back and forth in a room for hours if, I, uh, if I'm contemplating a situation. But I can get myself out of those patterns now because I know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you, you carve that rut into your brain, and you're just that's just how you do it. And if you don't realize that you've carved a rut, like you'll never realize you're in that. And then once you start to see it come out, yeah, I, I've seen that a lot too. And I see that a lot with a lot, of, like a lot of people just generally say a lot of negative things towards themselves. I'm like, you're just carving a negative yeah. rut into your life. Every time you say something negative. Um, have you ever read a book called switch on your brain? I haven't. It's been years since I've read it. And so, uh, my memory is probably not the greatest on it, but they talk a lot about those ruts and, and when you create those patterns and it actually has a physiological part of your, like your brain actually starts to, um, go into these patterns and when you shift your brain and end up, uh, it's not just positive thinking, but it's also understanding that we create brain waves in, yeah. by how we choose to uh, react. And how, yeah. Well, the thoughts you choose, the things you say, like, yeah, you can literally carve a new path and a better path. You know, I've, I've heard that. So that's fascinating, man. That's really cool. I definitely recommend that book for, yeah. Switch on the thinking, switch, switch on. on your brain. Uh, she has two books. Um, and I'm, I'm, blinking on her name i want to say it's dr laura but uh that might that first name might be incorrect uh the title of the book is definitely correct but she has two books yeah that's cool did did you see a lot of did that help you you think in your senate run just the the background for yeah uh behavior therapy specifically um having that career uh when people covered me they really the indie star title gave me uh, the title, A Good Heart. And so oh, that's cool. people recognize that I wanted to help the community. I was currently doing that through autism, and I wanted to do it through politics. And, and the media really picked up on that. That's and a so, cool way to spend that. Um, that's a, like a, it was, it was a huge like positive. That. So, yeah, I, cool. you know, I, people always question, well, what makes you able to run for Senate? What, and ultimately, I mean, 
when we look at how our forefathers set it up, they didn't look at, for career politicians. They looked for everyday Americans. Yeah. But even beyond that argument, if you're already doing something to help your community, whether it's your occupation, whether it's how you volunteer, whether it's um, through your church or whatever that might be, you are qualified to run, whether it's for Senate level or whether it's for your school board. Yeah. But do it. Run for office. Yes, yeah, it's, it's for anyone and everyone. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, we've done we've done about an hour and a half, man. Oh wow, this yeah. one went by fast. <laughs> so, um, you said you want you're doing a podcast at some point. We want to kind of talk. So, about that? very early on in the brainstorming, um, brainstorming part of it, and I already got a couple guests set up, but we need to get some of the technical parts and and uh, get all that. But I I don't have a name for it yet. But what it's going to focus on is the behavior part of. Uh, our society and how we change our patterns of thinking as a society mm-hmm. and how that translates to politics and how I believe that the libertarianism platform within 50 years is going to uh, shift this whole thing. But we got to do it through the ideas that the tools that I use through behavior mm-hmm. to shift our whole society. And so I want to navigate that through a conversation through my podcast. Um, I'm excited about my first couple of guests, but as far as uh, when it will launch, my goal is January, but we'll, we'll see. I'll yeah. definitely get the uh, word out to you yeah. when that does launch. I'll post there. I'll let people know. Um, and maybe even I'll go back and edit this so I can have the little, you know, the link in there. That'd be awesome. In this episode. So if you're listening to this past January, check for a link. If not, um, yeah, what, where can people find you? So right now, uh, James Cuniac for Indiana is my official political page. Um that that is going to shift into my mayoral run next year and then uh so follow me there politically and then i'm also on twitter i still use Cuniac for senate uh that's the number four in that case and those two platforms are my most used platforms so cool yeah i'll post those as well so that people can find you and and stuff yeah that's Awesome. awesome man um any last things you want to say yeah i just i i want your listeners to know that it's good to be engaged and and that might mean a lot of different things for you as a as an individual but i would uh encourage you to look at politics i would look at you encourage you to volunteer for a campaign i would encourage you to run for an office and look how you can affect your local community we talked a lot about the really affecting your county and and school boards um but look for those positive ways to do that i believe that we need more uh more people who just want change and and to be involved and take that step for me you know i had no idea it was going to turn into a senate run mm-hmm. and for you it could be a, one of the best things that happens so definitely uh step up and and decide to take an action step yeah that's awesome and well i i'm really thankful for you coming and talking man it's it was cool just to see you know what you've done and hear how that's happened, and you've you've made changes. I, I know you've impacted Indiana in a, in a really positive way. Um, and so it's cool that you know, from way back when we were doing plays <laughs> together, to seeing what you're doing now, uh, it's cool, man. So well, thank, thank you. I appreciate that, and it's always great to see a very old face. I mean, we haven't. Yeah. It was good to catch up. And yeah, it's good to catch up. So cool. Well, thanks, James. Um, we'll see you guys later. Have a good rest of the day or whatever.